All right, cool. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump into some a lot of uh, some fun stuff. Do you guys ever, actually real quick, you guys ever uh, sometimes lay in bed, you wake up, trying to go back to sleep, and then finally you say, I might as well just get up and do some work. <clears throat> That's what happened to me this morning. It's like all of a sudden my eyes opened up at 3 in the morning, sitting there trying to go back to sleep. I'm like, I might as well just get up and look my Sunday school again. <clears throat> that never happens to you? You just sleep straight through. Yeah, you should have called. We, we could have fellowshiped. Anyway, I had some more uh, fellowship with the Lord this morning over this passage, but let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your kindness to us this day, just allowing us to be with your people on the Lord's day and to have your word before us. Thank you for the freedom that we have in our country. We know that there are friends all around the world who do not enjoy such freedom. Even some of our missionaries uh, serve in restricted areas, and we pray for them. Uh, we ask God that you be with our uh, those that are teaching our children right now. Be with uh, Bill as he uh, uh, finishes up the finance class. And we just pray that you'd open up your word to us this morning as we consider David's response uh, to this covenant that you established um, so long ago. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I just want to let you get uh, let you guys know. <clears throat> Um, just about any pastor that gets up and speaks or any time somebody does a lesson, um, they're robbing other pastors in order to bring the word of God to you. So one of the guys I rob frequently is this guy named Dale Ralph Davis. And this guy just writes awesome, awesome commentaries on the Old Testament. And so this is his commentary on Second Samuel. And a lot of his uh, sermons are online so if you if you're going through the old testament and and maybe you're doing some family devotions or maybe you're you're teaching somewhere and you say man i'd like to hear a good sermon on this passage to help me as i'm putting my thoughts together find dale ralph davies some of his messages are on um, sermon audio and he is just awesome he's he's a real good expositor he deals with the text well and he's funny i like funny Say it again. Um, Dale Ralph Davis. Sometimes you'll see it as D. Ralph Davis. Um, say it again. He does rock. He has become one of my favorite commentators. Davis. Yeah. The thing I really like about him is <clears throat> he does a real good exposition of the text. And he will deal with difficulties in the text. Like he'll he'll hit some of the critical issues um but in in a way that's very attainable to just anybody in the church and um so he'll explain tough things and then his stuff is just very practical um he's really good at tying things back to christ in a way that really does make sense in the text and um so he's just become one of my favorite guys so I'm going to start with an illustration that I robbed from him as we move into this section of Second Samuel 7. You guys have probably experienced being at a red light. You've got another car in front of you. You're stopped, right? And then that light turns green, and the person in front of you doesn't move right away. And you give it two or three seconds because you know that for some people they're not quite as fast as you to the 
to the trigger to the gas pedal take green to enter their cranium and get down to their foot and so you're a very patient person uh, but if it goes on for five or six or seven seconds <clears throat> now you're tempted to honk your horn but you don't want to be one of those people but for the sake of the neighbors behind you you feel obligated right to serve the neighbors behind you in order to wake up the person in front of you who might be looking at their cell phone or whatnot. And, um, <clears throat> you know, with that, we could say that it's rather absurd not to move at a green light. Wouldn't you agree? Um, and in the same way, it's rather absurd to not move at God's revelation. David has just received direct divine revelation from Nathan that is one of the most important revelations that in human history that God has come to David and said, I am going to build you a house. I'm going to establish your kingdom forever and there will be no end of this kingdom. Um, this is what we call the Davidic covenant. <clears throat> it's with us to this day. It's going to go on into the millennium and into the kingdom. And so this is a huge, a huge revelation that David has received and so he's going to respond to this in just an amazing, uh, a beautiful prayer that we see in the second half of the book. Contrary wise, have you guys, have you ever been the one that's at the green light and maybe you're looking down at your phone for a second and then it turns green or you at the red light, turns green and then somebody honks behind you. I don't know about you, but my immediate reaction is, hey, come on, buddy. You know, be a little patient. <clears throat> I have no idea how long that light has actually been green, but I'm just assuming the people behind me are impatient. It's interesting how self-centered we can be. <clears throat> but let's uh, let's just do a, a little bit of review here. Uh, this lesson, we're, we're finishing up God's promise to David in the Davidic covenant. Next week, we'll get to uh, David's disobedience. Talk about that. Um, from last week... Let's see here. Uh-oh. We are not moving. Um, is there anybody that could go find Brian or John? I'm suddenly not moving in my PowerPoint. Okay, okay Gabby's got it. Oh, wait, here we go. Okay, decided to go, Gabby. We got it. <clears throat> um, I think I may have skipped by some other slides, though. Maybe not. Okay, we'll just we'll run into this. So <clears throat> this is part of what we did last week, just to kind of set the table within the whole uh, scope of the Old Testament. Does anybody remember? Uh, let's see. No, we're kind of in and out here. Did I, did I accidentally take us offline or? All right, let's let's try this. So, okay, yeah, I got I got that one. Whoops, I didn't want to do that. That's okay. All right, let's try this. All right, so does anybody remember from last week one bun? And let's go straight to what it's supposed to—not just the image, but what's the period of Old Testament history that's supposed to remind you of? Creation or beginnings, right? You think of the hamburger bun. What comes to mind on the hamburger bun? 
Sesame seeds and the arrangement of stars, moon, sun, reminds you of the beginnings. And this is all basically the first 11 chapters of Old Testament. So that's uh, one bun. <clears throat> Two shoe. What period of Old Testament history is this? Patriarchal period. So this is the patriarchal period. What comes to my mind is this is Father Abraham inside of a shoe. It reminds me of the patriarchal period, which covers Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, actually. So we're all, all the way through Genesis. Three tree. Anybody know? Exodus. Yeah, the, we've got the period of Exodus. We've got an exit sign that's on the tree that reminds us of the whole Exodus period. So this is the movement out of Egypt. To go sacrifice, uh, this is the giving of the law, this is the wandering for 40 years, and so on and so forth. Four door, anybody remember this period of Old Testament history? Yes, okay, so you should imagine in your mind a door with walls that are fallen around the door, as it reminds you of the conquest. So this would kind of call to mind Jericho and everything that's happened during that conquest period. Then from the fifth stage of Old Testament history, five hive. Anybody know? You can shout it out. Judges. judges. Yes, yeah, so we got judges. What should come to mind is some unwise judge that is using his gavel on a beehive. Not very wise. And uh, the period of the judges was not necessarily a time of wisdom as everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Then we got six sticks. Anybody remember that period of Old Testament history? Yeah, you got King David holding two sticks together, which tells us we're talking about the United Kingdom, right? <clears throat> There's still Israel and Judah together. David eventually unites the kingdom. That's the period that we're in right now. Seven heaven. What period of Old Testament history is this? The divided kingdom. Joe's going to get a special star at the end <clears throat> on his paper. So seven heaven. So we've got this crown on a cloud. So this reminds us of the divided kingdom, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Remember Rehoboam, Jeroboam. So we've got this long period of division between the north and south. And then we go to eight gate. Anyone? Joe? Yes. Yes, there's a bad guy in a gate. <clears throat> this is the exilic period. This is a poor Hebrew that has been taken away into captivity. And we normally when we talk about the exile, we're talking specifically about the southern tribes, Judah being taken away by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. Because the northern tribes, nothing they just all get disseminated, right? <clears throat> there's no real return <clears throat> of the northern tribes back to the land. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the final period, nine dime. Everybody remember what that is? Yeah, so we got this dime headed guy that's coming back from Persia down into Canaan or into Israel. So this is the post exilic period or the return. So those are the nine periods of history. Obviously, we're within the six sticks. United Kingdom is what we're talking about here. Um, I emailed this material to you guys as well. I think we're, uh, we'll, we'll skip by. Actually, is there anything about last week that you guys want to ask about or comment upon? 
Anything about last week? We basically made four main points last week <coughs> from the front end of the Davidic Covenant, 2 Samuel 7. We talked about Yahweh's wisdom. Remember, David's like, hey, life is good. I want to build the Lord a house. What does David, what does Nathan say? Do what's in your heart. Just do it, man. Yeah, justice. Right. So God says, I'm going to build a house for you. You're not going to build a house for me. Right. Excellent. So the wisdom part is, is that David was going to do what just seemed reasonable. But when revelation entered in, it changed what seemed reasonable. It seemed so reasonable. It was like serving pancakes at a pancake breakfast, right? God comes along and says, nope, we're going to do it differently. And then the second thing we talked about last week was Yahweh's humility. <clears throat> that God says, I traveled around in tents. When did I ever ask for a house? I, I travel around with my people. I tabernacle amongst them, just like Jesus came and tabernacled amongst us. Thirdly, last week, we talked about Yahweh's grace. That Remember, what, did, what was the deal normally between um, pagan kings and pagan gods? What was the, normally the deal that they worked up together? We mentioned a couple different examples last week. Good. So Dan says the pagan king would build some edifices, some structures for the God. The God would respond by saying, now I'm going to give you peace amongst your enemies. I'm going to give you a long reign. In this case, David comes and says, I want to build you a house. God says, no, I'm not like the pagan gods. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to grace you. And you, by the way, your kingdom is going to last forever. <clears throat> and that brings us to the last point that we talked about last week. And that's Yahweh's constancy or his, uh, his faithfulness. That basically he shares with David that death cannot annul this promise. Sin cannot annul this promise and time cannot annul this promise that God's kingdom is unstoppable and you get to be part of this, David. And so that's basically what God reveals to um, David last week. And now we get <clears throat> to this green light section where David has seen the green light and he wants to step on the gas and move. He wants to respond now. Uh, in this wonderful prayer. So open up to 2 Samuel. We're going to start in verse 18. And we're going to make <clears throat> some various comments as we move through this uh, particular text. So we'll finish up the chapter today. Let me just say a couple things about some of the terms that are being used in this chapter. <clears throat> and then even in just this particular section. As we move to David's prayer, he uses the word servant ten times. He keeps referring to the Lord, um, the Lord God, <clears throat> 18 times. He, he talks to God as you or yourself 31 times. Um, <clears throat> and then refers to himself as your servant over and over and over again through this prayer. 
He also refers to Israel 11 times, and he refers to like the house that that God is going to build in the praise section seven different times. And so you really get this feel that it's really David as the servant coming to respond to the master or God in prayer as a result of this promise. So let's let's start in um, in verse 18. There's there's a couple different questions that get asked. If you look at verse 18, uh, most of you should have a, a question in that verse. Can I identify a question? At least the first question. Who am I? So that that seems to kick off the beginning of this prayer is David saying, who am I? Um, then down around, um, verse 23, we get this idea who is like your people, like Israel. Do you guys see that in verse 23? Who is like your people? And then in verse 25, there's kind of this final response in light of these questions now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant, establish it forever. So I want to divide up the section into who am I? Who is like your people? And then what can possibly stop you from accomplishing all that you've promised to me and your people? That's the way you could divide up this chapter. So let me say it again. David starts off, who am I and who are your people? And then who could possibly stop you from accomplishing your promise to me and your people? Does that make sense? That seems to be the big idea. So let's start in verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this thus far? So he's talking about here previous grace. There's things that you have done for my house all the deliverances from Saul, the defeat of Goliath, him uh, running around with the Philistines for a while, um, the rebellion of, uh, of, of another king before he comes to full throne. Verse 19, and yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. <clears throat> so he speaks of previous grace and others, this promised grace. And then in the new King James, there's this question, is this the manner of man? O Lord God. Now the last phrase in verse 19, there's probably about six, seven, eight, nine tr- different translations. Who's got the NIV. Anybody out there with the NIV? Nobody likes the NIV, huh? Okay. Who's got like a ESV version. Anybody? Okay, Justice, can you read like the last line of verse 19? And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. Okay, so now we've got, this is instruction for mankind. Is this the manner of man, New King James? Who's got New American Standard? Okay, Dan. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Anybody have a different translation out there? Yep. 
Okay, and this is the law of man. Okay, good. Translations are all over the place right here because the Hebrew is honestly quite difficult. Kind of a word-for-word literal rendering goes like this. And this is the Torah of mankind, or this is Torah mankind. Um, Torah, a lot of times we think of Torah as being what? How do we normally translate it, huh? Law. So Torah a lot of times gets translated as law, which many times that is exactly what it is. Probably over-restrictive, though. Uh, Torah, the big idea is instruction or guidance. And, and definitely when, you, when you're talking about like the Ten Commandments and some of the stuff that's going on in Leviticus, law is a great interpretation. <clears throat> uh, but instruction, I think it's the New American Standard that might have instruction is, is pretty good. So the idea here is this is the instruction of all mankind. Walt Kaiser says this. He, he translates it as the charter of humanity. And this is a quote from Walt Kaiser. It is the plan and prescription of God's kingdom whereby the whole world shall be blessed. It is a grant conferring powers, rights, and privileges to David and his seed for the benefit of all mankind. In other words, what God, what David seems to be saying in his prayer, this isn't, I'm understanding this is not just a promise to me. I'm understanding you to say, this is a promise. This is a charter for the whole human race. And who am I to be the one that is receiving this blessing that will ultimately bless the whole human race? So go back and look at the, the context. He says, who am I? What is my house? Yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. <clears throat> you have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come on into the future. Um, and this is the charter of humanity. Now, what more can David say to you? Remember in the in the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham was promised that he would be blessed, Right. <clears throat> that he would have a land. And where was the blessing to extend? Was it to extend with just him and Sarah and his immediate children? Yeah, excellent. So it was Abraham, Isaac, it would be Jacob, it would go on. It, he was promised that he would have children that would be as great as the sand, right? Or, or as the stars. And this, this promise is something that goes way beyond just Abraham, but to all of humanity. And so within the Davidic covenant, <clears throat> or David's understanding that this is a blessing that isn't just for me. It isn't just for Israel. It's something that's going to go on way into the future. And so we see <clears throat> um, here, uh, David, just uh, just marveling in Yahweh as he's asking, who am I? And in a uh, uh, second half of verse 20, he goes on to say, for you, O Lord, know your servant for your word's sake. And according to your own heart, you have done all these things to make your servant know you have known <clears throat> your servant and you've done all this to make your servant know all these things to know you and then he finishes up with with what might be the kind of the pinnacle verse of the whole section verse 22 therefore 
You are great, O Lord God. There is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. So David starts off this section saying, who am I? And then he says, ends it with, you are great. You are the only God. Um, There's this creature creator distinction that we've talked about in this class for a long time now. And we're seeing it again right here. Um, David is recognizing his own smallness and the blessing of being related to a great God who has made these promises that aren't just for David, aren't just for his own time, but go way beyond his time and will ultimately be a blessing to all of mankind. <clears throat> you know, there's a story of uh, in history in 1715, King Louis XIV of France um, died after reigning for 72 years. And he referred to himself as Louis the Great. And he's the one who made famous the statement, I am the state. He has, you know, referring to himself and his kingship <clears throat> that he is the state. Um, and at his funeral, he wanted to emphasize his greatness. And, and one of the ways he wanted to do that is there was the whole cathedral at Notre Dame was darkened except for one candle that was on top of his coffin. And so the idea was, is when people came into the cathedral, there was just this hush and this sense of awe that King Louis the Fourteenth was there <clears throat> and all attention was on his coffin, Louis the Great. Uh, but the one who was presiding over the funeral that day, Bishop Massillon, as he came over to his coffin, he snuffed it out and he said, only God is great. Only God is great. And that's the way he began the funeral for King Louis the Fourteenth, King Louis the Great. King Louis did not get what David got, <clears throat> is that, yes, he's a king. Um, he had been given this reign, <clears throat> but God is ultimate and God is the one that is great. And David acknowledges that in this prayer. Yeah, Justice, you had a. He does, doesn't he? So Justice says that, you know, as we look at Scripture, David just does a great job of glorifying the Lord. And it is true. You see him both in the Psalms. You see him as he moves throughout the narratives. Um, He's always turning things back to the Lord. Remember the very first time that we see David on the text of Scripture. What does he say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should berate the living God? Right. He's the first one that brings theology into the whole battle scene. And so, yeah, you're right. <clears throat> David is he, he's the one that's always bringing God to the table. Yep. Yeah. 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 Saul's setting up monuments for himself and. Yeah, David, in, in fact, I mean, when he does have that big house, he's looking at it and he's like, man, how come the, why is the ark over here in a tent? And I'm living in this big house. He wants to rectify that. That's his heart. So that seems to be the way this prayer starts is David just asking this question, who am I? 
But then as we move into verse 23 and 24, there seems to be another question that is being asked. And that is, who is like your people? And so let's look at verse 23 and we'll make some comments as we move through here. He says, who is like your people, like Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. Um, Any terms that get repeated that you guys see repeated in this section? Okay, people gets repeated. Anything else? Okay, good, good. For you, for himself, good. How about, let's put it this way, any any verbs repeated? Say it again, Joe. Okay, great. <clears throat> um, that'd be more kind of a... Redeemed, yeah, good, good. So, yeah, we see redeem or redeem twice in this section. And notice whom God sent to redeem for himself. And then it says whom you redeemed for for yourself from Egypt. So there's both the for and the from, which are two aspects of redemption. God redeems for and he redeems from. And so in this section, God is just saying, who's like your people that has been redeemed for and from? Um, And in saying such, it doesn't seem like the focus is so much on the people. It's it's the focus is on the redeemer of the people. Right. And so <clears throat> so we've got this uh, this redemption, this redeemed people <clears throat> there in verse 24. There's a preserved people for you have made or established your people, uh, Israel, uh, to be your very own people forever. <clears throat> and then he says, and you, Lord, have become their God. And so. This is also a privileged people that they they actually get to relate to the to God in a very special way, totally unique from the other peoples on the earth. And David is just he's just marveling in God, the redeemer of of the of these people. Uh, John Stott uh, gives an illustration of this uh, Reverend Paul Gibson, who uh, towards the end of his life, um, they were having a big service to just basically thank the Lord and and give honor to this particular pastor for his years of service. And they hired a a world renowned artist to do the portrait of Paul Gibson. And when he got up to speak to the those that were gathered at the service, he just noted that when people from years from now look at this portrait, they're not going to say, who is that man? They're going to say, who is that artist? Um, and in the same way, when when David here is is reflecting upon the people of God, it's not so much, whoa, who are those people? It's who is their God? Who is this? Who is such a redeemer <clears throat> that he would call out this particular people to himself and say, I will be their God and they will be my people and then we get to drink in on we we drink of that as New Testament saints, right? And that seems to be what David's implying in the first part of his prayer is that this is a charter for all of mankind beyond even 
just Israel. And so we see those those are the first two questions that seem to be asked. Who am I? And then who are your people? And then starting in verse 25, um, David begins to kind of bring this to its its kind of coup de grace, so to speak, the height of this prayer. Basically, he doesn't ask it as a question, but I'll ask as a question is what can stop God's word or what can really stop God's promises? If God has made this promise to David and if God has made this promise to Israel, who can possibly stop it or what can possibly stop it? Um, Notice. So read starting in verse 25. Now, O Lord. And I want you to, as we read through this, notice how many times David refers to the word of the Lord or the saying of the Lord. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do just as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is the God of Israel. And let the house of your servant, David, be established before you for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever for O Lord God you have spoken it and with your blessing let the house of your servant be blessed forever see what David's doing here he's like who am I who are your people but guess what you've pronounced it you've made this blessing so I'm going to end this prayer by saying this do exactly what you have said God you've said that you're gonna you're going to build me a house you've said that you're going to bless your people do exactly what you have said, and I will glory in you fulfilling your promises. There seems to be something here where David, <clears throat> he just knows that when God says something, when he promises something, it is going to happen and there is no stopping it. And so I'm just going to revel in God's promises. You know, there's a lot of things that we can <clears throat> we can promise ourselves or promise other people, but we're just creatures. Right? I can tell. I can tell my kids, hey, I promise I'll take you to uh, Castle Park on Saturday. But something may come up and I can't take them to Castle Park on Saturday. Um, There's a lot of times where, you know, it's the beginning of the baseball season. Everybody's got high hopes. And uh, you got managers coming out saying, you know, this year we're going to make it the World Series. That's our goal. We want to make it the World Series. That's everybody's goal, right? Go Cubs, go. And uh, until last year, every year it was like, go Cubs, go. Hey, Cubs, what do you say? Or hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are going to win today. But does that happen every day? Those guys sing that song. And it happens maybe 55% of the time. Right? Last year they did pretty good. They got close to 6%. Then they won the World Series. But we can say, go, God, go. When he says he's going to do something, we can say, go, God, go. And it's going to happen. There's just no doubt about it. When we pray to the Lord and we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is not a kind of we hope this happens. We hope that your name gets hallowed. 
it's not really being hallowed, but we hope it'll happen. No, we're praying something that is sure to happen. God's name will be hallowed. <clears throat> His name will be exalted. Um, when we when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not like, oh, I hope this happens. Maybe it'll happen one day. No, we're praying something that is sure to occur. Look at the end of the Bible. God comes back. He throws the devil into the lake of fire with the false prophet. <clears throat> Everybody who is, is part of the goats, they get cast into the lake of fire. All of his children move up into righteousness and God wins. And so David's just praying things that are absolutely sure to happen. <clears throat> He's basically saying, do as you have promised. That is my heart's prayer. And so I just want to challenge us as we pray. Are we locking into those promises of God and praying them as if we hope they will happen? Or do we realize that if God says he's going to accomplish something, it is going to happen? Um, and do we do we plead his promises in prayer as as David sets the example here? Um, oh, go ahead. Say it again. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So Brian's pointing out that the word hope, as it's often used in Scripture, doesn't mean I hope so. It actually means the assurance of something that's sure to happen. So we have hope. That's a good point. Real good point, Brian. So it seems like in this prayer of David, It's I think it's just a great um, it's an awesome prayer for us to worship the Lord with. And I think it's a great example for our own prayers. There's all kinds of killer prayers all throughout the Bible. This is one of them. And if you're just looking for a prayer to kind of model or to to give you some maybe some just some fresh ideas or a renewal of what it means to pray. You could just take this prayer and just start off this afternoon or maybe tonight before you go to bed and just start off with, Lord, who am I? Who am I that I have been so blessed to be in a place where I've come into contact with the gospel? That somebody shared the gospel with me, a sinner who was running completely in the other direction, and yet you allowed me to hear the gospel and you, uh, you allowed me to respond in faith to where I could reach out for you and actually receive forgiveness and have my guilt set away. Who am I <clears throat> that I am now heading towards heaven rather than heading towards hell? Who am I that I live in such a place to where um, I have food on my table that that I can walk over to my refrigerator and pull something to drink out of the fridge um, and can eat. Who am I that I have employment or that I have the health that I have or that I'm alive? <clears throat> we can we can start our prayers with these who am I type questions. And then who are your people, the church of God, that that you would pour your blessing upon us as a church 
and allow us to come and worship you corporately on a weekly basis that that we get the keys of the kingdom that that really as humble as a people as we are that we get to do from an eternal perspective the most important work on the planet and that is sharing the gospel of almighty god the power of god unto salvation there are many rulers lord around the world who are doing many important things but all of them pale in comparison to the opportunity to share with someone the life-changing news of the gospel that can actually transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Who else can do that <clears throat> but you? And you choose to do it through your people. Who are we? And now, O oh Lord, you can go into the third party prayer. Now, O oh Lord, you have promised <clears throat> that you will put down the devil. You have promised that you will win. You have promised that your word will go out and there will be many saved throughout the planet from every tribe, tongue and nation. Uh, There will be people from every tribe, tongue and nation that will be in heaven. You've promised to uh, to preserve your church and you've begun this good work and you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. Now, Lord, do that work. You know, maybe there's specific people that come to mind that you can be praying uh, this on on their behalf. I don't know. To me, that kind of excites me um, to think about the fact that when God says he's going to accomplish something, that it's unstoppable. And I can enter into prayer and enter into these unstoppable prayers, not because I'm so great. You, you can do the same thing, not because you're so great, but because God is so great. And when he says something, when he promises something, we can bank on that. Um, I don't know about you, there, but that gets me pretty jazzed. And so when I woke up this morning at three in the morning and I'm like, oh, man, I can't go to sleep. I guess I'll get up and look at my Sunday school. I'm sitting there looking back over these things. And I'm just like, I'm getting pretty jazzed at four in the morning. I'll tell you, I don't get jazzed at four in the, vor- four in the morning very often. Um, <clears throat> but this was this was getting me pumped up. Any questions you guys have? Questions, comments, criticisms, or concerns? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, David could have, Allison saying David could have gone before the Lord and listed his resume of worthiness and things that he had accomplished. But this prayer is very God-centered, right? Very much focused on God's works, <clears throat> things that he's accomplished for his own glory. I love the way David just keeps going back and forth between your servant, Lord God, your servant, Lord God. It just, he keeps toggling back and forth between this creature creator distinction and just acknowledges it and models it for us very well. Good. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Joe. Hmm. 
Yeah. 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 No, it is interesting. And, and commentators will note that is that David comes and sits before the Lord in this particular prayer. And and there is a lot of, um, you know, discussion about the various postures of prayer and worship on the pages of Scripture. We see sitting. We see laying down prostate, prostrate, prostrate. I always have to say that right. Um yeah, sorry. Standing. There's all kinds of positions that we see in Scripture. But yeah, th- it is interesting that here he comes and sits before the Lord. Yeah, Justice. Yeah, it is a great example of faith, right? He sees God as given promise, and, and right away in his prayer, he's like, wow, do it, fulfill it. Yeah, Allison. Yeah. Now that's good. That's a good point. So Allison is bringing up the point that David's not just kind of like texting God on his way to another appointment. <clears throat> you know, he's sitting before God. He's taking time to spend with God. Right. I don't know about you guys and your personality, but. I'll just con- can I confess something to you guys as long as you just keep it amongst us, right? Um, there's a lot of times where, when I'm praying, I I'll, I'll have this itching feeling that I'm wasting time, like I feel like I need to um, be doing something while I'm praying, or uh, I. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of times I'll put on audio. I'll put the scripture on audio so I can like wash the dishes or do something around the house. And I'm and then I'm kind of like killing two birds with one stone. Right. I'm hearing the scriptures, but I'm also getting stuff done. Right. And um, and that's not necessarily bad if that's kind of supplemental. But there's a part of me that just kind of needs to say, hey, wait a second. Sitting before the Lord. And just praying and reading his word is getting stuff done, right? That is getting stuff done. You're spending time with God Almighty. And I don't have to do something else on the side to make it um, somehow time efficient. I don't know if anybody ever, anybody else struggles with that. Or maybe I'm the only one. Yeah, Melton's shaking his head. He never does that. Uh, But don't tell anybody that I told you guys that. But good. Any other thoughts, questions? Yeah, Joe. Yeah. Right. Right. That's a very good point. Yeah, Joe's bringing up the point that you would think with a promise of this significance... And even the way David responds to the promise, this would just be the end of David's sin problem, right? He's got this killer promise. He makes this killer prayer. If Second Samuel were to end right here, this would be a great way to end the movie, right? It's like, all right. You know, it'd be like the end, 
end of the World Series. All right, story over. But next week, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where David falls into sin with Bathsheba. Um, and, and as we've seen in this promise, David, God's told us in the first half of the chapter, death will not annul it. Sin will not annul the promise. Nothing can annul this promise. God will be moving. It is unstoppable. So with that, yeah, so next week we'll come back. I'll send you guys the notes out on Monday. What I've been doing lately, hopefully you guys are getting it. If you're not getting it, make sure you put your email back on the sign-in sheet. You should be getting the study notes on Monday or thereabouts. And then you can start reading through the sections on your own. And then, um, and then we'll, you know, kind of marinate in it during the week. And then we come back and hit it on Sunday. All right. Hey, you guys, should, we're going to pray. You guys should all come up and give me a, a medal or a pat on the back for ending five minutes early. I, I think I deserve some sort of applause or... What's that? Yeah. Yeah. All I got to do is get up at three every Sunday and I'll get done on time. Yeah. All right. Let's I'm fooling around. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for just the wonderful example here in this chapter. And we do say uh, before you this morning, who are we that we should have such promises? And who is who are we as Cornerstone, this church, that we should have your blessing and grace poured out upon us sinners And yet when we look at what you've promised to do through your church, you have told us that the gates of hell shall not prevail. You have told us that the the fields are white with harvest. And so we just pray that you'd raise up laborers. Um, We pray, Father, that you would continue to glorify yourself. We know that your name will be hallowed. We ask you would hallow it. We pray for your kingdom to come. There are no rulers, no presidents, no leaders that will be able to overrule you. Uh, Even when the devil uh, raises armies at the end of days, um, you will squash your enemies with simply a word. And we will all glorify you because of it as you redeem your people for yourself and from their enemies. Um, We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Um, I'll send you some notes uh, tomorrow. Lord willing.